So, double stroke. All right. You're going to do the intro, and then I'm going to explain what... Uh... All right. So, we are double stroke. This is a double stroke podcast. Are we starting now? <laughs> are we starting now? Just do another one. That'll be the... So, this is the Double Stroke Podcast, because we're drummers. <laughs> Yo, I feel like it's going to be like, here, here's the thing, I think it's going to be real awkward to start, and then, as it goes, we'll be, we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got, <gasps> what did you write down? Yeah, I'll read it. Um, okay, so what are, what's our first thing? So intro, <laughs> intro. Yep, we did that. Yep. Um, we're gonna do an excerpt. We're gonna read an excerpt from this play that I'm in, actually. Oh yeah, it's called Picasso. It's because he's still in school. And, <laughs> and it's by Steve Martin. And um, it's funny. Your name is Steve. Yeah. What a relationship. It? Right. You should get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, he's famous, so I can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, this is the premise. What happens when Picasso and Einstein walk into a bar? <laughs> Intellectual fireworks, verbal gymnastics, of amorous intentions, and the arrival of a mysterious man in blue suede shoes. On an October evening in 1904, Albert Einstein and Pablo Picasso end up at the same small bar in Paris, the Lapinagile. The two young geniuses, joined by an eccentric cast of characters, Spar over art and science, their respective libidos, where inspiration comes from, and the promise and dreams of the 20th century. That's I a like little... The, dude, the word libidos still gets me, bro. Literally how, still gets me. How does it get you? Like, I learned what it means, right? And I still think that it means, like, <laughs> like a part of your body. <laughs> yeah, dude. It just sounds like my lumbar... My art, my deltoids, and my libido. Like, those yeah, are just like, yeah. that's what it sounds like to me, dude. But it's actually something much deeper and mm. more meaningful. Of course. I like the word. It's beautiful. Okay. So we don't have an easy setup for what we're trying to do here, but I play the piano over here. He's going to be playing the piano while I'm reading it, so yeah. we're going to read from the beginning of the story to page 20 or something so yeah. let's start it so it, we're giving credit where credit is due steve, we didn't we steve didn't martin. write this steve martin thank you steve martin thanks steve martin <laughs> thank you for writing this beautiful play and it's very funny so it is all right here we go you ready yeah let's do this a bar in paris the lap in a Gilles, circa 1904 a bartender, Freddy, rubs a rag across the bar. On the wall is a three-by-four-foot painting of some sheep in a landscape. Upstage left is a door from the street. Upstage right is a door to a hall and toilet. We hear pre-recorded accordion music of Ta-ra-ra-boom-dier. Freddy, the bartender, is taking chairs off the tables. Gaston, he walks in. Offstage, singing, 
Man about sixty. Gaston enters. Tarara boom die, tarara boom die, tarara boom die, tarara boom die. Freddy says, Well, Gaston, you sound like you're out of your bad mood. Yes, damn it. Woke up this morning, good mood. Nothing I could do about it. Tarara boom die, tarara boom die. Damn, my memory. What's the next lyric? I don't know, but my guess it's uh, Ta-ra-ra-boom-dee. <laughs> Great song. I wonder who wrote it. Two East Indian guys. Ta-ra and Ra-boom-dee. Gaston sits. I have to pee. Already? You haven't had a drink yet. One day you'll understand. One day you'll understand. Gaston uh, gets up, moves towards the toilet. Through the door, Einstein, age 25, enters. Hair slicked back and neat looking. I'll be sitting there. I'm to meet a woman. Oh, shut your face, you little pipsqueak. Hey, you don't even know him. I have a feeling. Still, you can't just insult someone right out of the blue. But I'm French. Do you have absinthe? One absinthe coming up. I'm supposed to meet her at six o'clock at the Bar Rouge. This is not the Bar Rouge, it's the Lapinagil. No difference. No difference. You see, I'm a theorist. The way I see it is that there is as much chance of her wandering in here accidentally as there is of her wandering into the Bar Rouge on purpose. So where I wait for her is of no importance. It is of no importance where I tell her I will be. And least of all, it's not important what time I am to meet her. Unless... Unless what? Unless you really want to meet her. I, I don't follow. If you really want to meet her, you'll, you'll go to the Bar Rouge at the time you told her. You're forgetting one thing. And what's that? She thinks like I do. Here's your vodka. I asked for absinthe. No difference. Einstein takes the drink and sits down. Gas Gaston re-enters. I can describe the woman you're waiting for. Well, so can I. But I've never seen her. I can describe her hair, her clothes, her smell even. And go ahead. But I need something. Like what? Women are my area of expertise, and like the paleontologist, I can reconstruct the creature from a bone. But I need a hint. How did you get to be such an expert? By looking. So, you're an admirer of the feminine equation? Yes, but I never touch. It's my saving grace. And the way I glide among them, invisible. So I need a hint. Yes. A hint. Uh, she has long red hair. Ah, oh, one of those. Hard to control her because she's so damn pert. She runs you, doesn't she? Her speech will be short like her skirt. She'll sit over there and cross her legs and control the room. 
She's controlling it now. Look at us, talking about her because she she has long hair. Sounds like you really know women. Never met one, really. Never met one? Not in my new incarnation as an older man. Women respond differently to men of different ages. I'm only newly old. Just getting used to it, really. My name is Gaston. My name is Albert Einstein. Freddy looks up suddenly. You can't be. You, you just can't be. Freddy crosses from behind the bar and approaches Einstein. Sorry, I'm, I'm not myself today. He fluffs his hair, making himself look like Einstein. Better? Freddy says, No, no, that's, that's not what I mean. In, in order of appearance. Come again? Freddy says, In order of appearance, you're, you're not third. Takes playbill from the audience member. You're fourth. It, it says so right here. Cast in order of appearance. I knew you were fourth. I, I knew it when you walked in. And, and yet you said nothing. I couldn't put my finger on it, but now I can. Gives back the program to one of the audience members. I take your point. Toilets. Behind the door. Thank you. Einstein exits. The waitress, Germaine, 35, enters. She's Freddy's girlfriend. Germaine says, Sorry, I'm, I'm late. You're not late, you're third. Germaine walks behind the bar, pours herself a drink, and swallows it. Freddy says, Where were you? At home, darling. Doing what? Sitting in front of a mirror. Why? Just looking, seeing what all the fuss is about. Besides, a mirror is like a mind. If, if you don't use it, it loses the power to reflect. Well, you should try and be on time, sweetheart. Oh, don't be so old-fashioned. These are... these are the knots. Freddy says, This is the fourth day you're late. Are we going to fight? Let's not fight, Freddy. Let, let's be in love like yesterday. She kisses him. So tomorrow I can say, Let's be in love like yesterday. She kisses him again. Always. Another kiss. Always. Freddy says, Okay, okay, always. I love you, even though you give me nothing. What? Nothing. Einstein re-enters again from the street. He perfunctorily goes through his dialogue, panting. I'll be sitting there. I, I'm, I'm here to meet someone. A, a woman. I am to meet her at six o'clock at the Bar Rouge. All right? Germaine says, Bar Rouge? This is not the... Don't ask. Germaine says, Hey, Gaston, see any good ones today? Saw a good one yesterday as the shops were closing. I tried to hold her in my memory, but she faded. All I remember now is a white linen blouse with a, just a whister, whisper of brassiere underneath. I was like seeing a sweet custard through a veil of meringue. An attractive 19-year-old girl, Suzanne, comes through the door. She is street smart and in charge, and there's probably a few more broken hearts just from her walk to the lap in the jail. Suzanne says, I've heard Picasso comes here. Does he? Sometimes. 
tonight? Maybe. This pleases Suzanne. She takes an article of clothing out of her bag. She turns her back to the audience and unbuttons her blouse. But before she takes it off, she stops and speaks first to Freddy. Suzanne says, Look away. Then to Einstein, You look away too. She then looks at Gaston. I, I, I guess you're okay. She takes off her blouse, revealing a black bra underneath, and puts on a new, sexier top. Okay. They all turn. Suzanne sits at a table and waits. Damn! What's the matter? Now I have to consider everything I'm wearing today to be lucky. Every time I go out now, it's not... It's not without my lucky hat, not without my lucky coat, and without my, not without my lucky shirt. Suzanne says, I'd like some wine. Any special color? Red, please. Jermaine gets the wine from Freddy. Jermaine says, Do you know Picasso? Twice. Is he expecting you? I think he's expecting to see me. Einstein says, Who is this Picasso? Jermaine, Freddy, and Suzanne say, Nervous, or er, sim simultaneously, He's a painter. Freddy says, He's a painter. Or he says he's one. I've, I've never seen his paintings, only what he says. Nuts about blue, they say. Oh yes, he's a painter. I, I've seen him. Gave me a drawing, Suzanne says. What are they like? They're strange, really. Not like that. I'll tell you. Suzanne refers to the sheet painting on the wall. Nothing wrong with this picture. I got it out of my grandmother's house just after she died. Well, actually, while she was dying, but sheep in a meadow in the fog. Beautiful. That's not what I see. And what do you see, Einstein? The Einstein has a pejorative emphasis. I prefer to take it further. Observe how the sheep are painted small, consumed by the weather and the terrain. So I see the power of the landscape over the small things. For me, it's the meeting that gives it its value. Gaston says, Jesus Christ, sheep, meadow, fog, period. There's a problem. What's that? Says Einstein. Well, it seems to me if you judge it only by its meaning, then any bad painting is just as good as any good painting if they have the same meaning. There was a long, long pause while everyone thinks. Women. Einstein says. Gaston says, I would like a wine. The purpose of the wine is to get me drunk. A bad wine will get me as drunk as a good wine. I would like the good wine. And since the result is the same no matter which wine I drink, I'd like to pay the bad wine price. Is that where you're headed, Einstein? Freddy says, I really don't think he's that clever, Gaston. Suzanne Want to see the drawing he gave me? Suzanne hands it to Einstein. He gets up, walks downstage, holding the drawing, and examines it in the light. 
I never thought that the 20th century would be handed to me so casually, scratched out in pencil on a piece of paper. Tools thousands of years old waiting for someone to move them in just this way. I am lucky tonight. I was open to receive it. Another night and I might have dismissed it with a joke or a cruel remark. Why didn't it happen before? By accident. Why didn't Raphael doodle this absent-mindedly? What do you think of the drawing? Einstein says innocently. What could it matter? Freddy says. Hmm. Let me see it. He looks at it. Hmm. Yeah. I like it all right. Gaston. I, I don't get it. Suzanne. I don't think it looks like me. There you go. Four more opinions. I wonder how many opinions the world can hold. A billion? A trillion? Well, we've just added four. But look, the drawing stays the same. Hey, look. What kind of person would I be if I didn't form an opinion? I see the drawing. I, I think about it. I form an opinion. Then I see other people and I express my opinion. Suddenly, I'm fascinating. And because I'm so fascinating, someone else sees the drawing and they have an opinion and they're fascinating too. Soon, whereas before I was standing in a room of dullards, I'm now standing in a room of completely fascinating people with opinions. My name is Suzanne. And you're waiting for Picasso. And you're waiting for Picasso. Right. Do you know him? I'm a, I've heard of him a bit. A uh, big guy. Rodeo rider. Trick roper, yeah. Oh, no. No, no. What's the first... What's his first name? Pablo. Oh, no, no. Different guy. So, how did you meet Pablo? Suzanne says, I... It was about two weeks ago. I was walking down the street one afternoon, and I turned up the stairs into my flat, and I looked back, and he was there, framed in the doorway, looking at, up at me. I couldn't see his face because the light came in from behind him, and he was in the shadow, and he said, I am Picasso. And I said, well, so what? <laughs> and then he said he wasn't sure yet, but he thinks that it means something in the future to be Picasso. He said that occasionally there is Picasso when he happens, he happens to be him. He said the 20th century has to start somewhere and why not now? Then he said, may I approach you? And I said, okay. He walked upstairs and picked up my wrist and turned it over and took his fingernail and scratched deeply on the back of my hand. In a second, in red, the image of a dove appeared. Then I thought, why is it that someone who wants me can hang around for months? I even like him, but I'm not going to sleep with him. But someone else says the right thing and I'm on my back, not knowing what hit me. Yeah, why is that? Jermaine says. Huh? says Freddy. Never mind. See, men are always talking about their th things, like, like it's not them. 
What things? The things between their legs. Oh, yes, Louie. Freddy Neinstein says, uh... <laughs> Suzanne says, See, it's not them, it's someone else. And it's true. It's like some rudderless fireworks snaking across town, but, but women have things too. They just work differently. They work from up here. And she taps her head. So when the guy comes on to me through up here, he's practically there already. Done. So the next thing I know, he's inside my apartment and I said, What do you want? And he said he wanted my hair. He wanted my neck. He wanted my eyes, my feet. He wanted his eyes on my eyes. His chest on my chest. He wanted the chairs in the room, the notepaper on the table. He wanted the paint from the walls. He wanted to consume me until there was nothing left. He said he wanted deliverance and that I would be his savior. And he was speaking Spanish, which didn't hurt. I'll tell you. Well, at that point, the word no became like a Polish village. Unpronounceable. I held out for seconds. Frankly, I didn't enjoy it that much because it was kind of quick. Premature ejaculation. Is there any other kind? Huh? Never mind. So then, I, as I was sitting there half-dressed, he picked up a drinking glass, of which I have two, and looked at me through the bottom. She picks up a glass and demonstrates. He kept pointing it at me and turning it in his hand like a kaleidoscope. And he said, even though you're refracted, you're still you. I didn't ask. Then he said he had to be somewhere and I thought, sure, and he left. Did you see him again? Oh yeah. <laughs> that night he comes back with his drawing and gives it to me and we do it again. This time in French. I'd, I enjoyed it this time, if you're keeping score. Then he gets very distracted, and I said, What's the matter? And he said he sometimes starts thinking about something and can't stop. Wait. He said he doesn't think about it. He sees it, yeah. And said, What is it? And he said, It can't be named. Well, when you're with someone who says they're seeing things that can't be named... You either want to run like hell or go with it. Well, I'm going with it, and that's not... That's why I'm here tonight. He told me about this place, that he might see me here one day. And that was two weeks ago. Sex, sex, sex. <laughs> what? Oh, nothing. I was just thinking out loud. Been a while. About eight months. Interesting, really. I, I saw a cat in the street and bent over to pet it, and, and it moved just about... It moved just out of my reach. It seemed friendly but nervous, so I followed it. Always moving out of my reach. It must have been two feet out of my reach for several blocks. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. When I realized the cat had stopped at the feet of a woman, I looked up at her, and our eyes met older, my age, but she was dazzling. 
Let's just say she was she had a nice mortal coil. We made love in her place within the hour. Did you ever make love to her again? No, no, I didn't. See, there you are. She was there. You, you were taken with each other, you men. Why is once enough? Why wouldn't you make love with her again? I would've, but she died about an hour, hour later. Oh. <laughs> we both wanted to do it again, and I told her I needed an hour to rejuvenate. I went outside and sat with the cat, and after a while I looked up, and they were taking her body out on a stretcher. I can't help but think that I killed her. Pause. Then Gaston emits a low, prideful chuckle. <laughs> what did Picasso say about my place? Suzanne says. He said, this is where artists come to talk about, let's see, um, mana, it's like mana... Festos. Manifestos. Jermaine says, Anyone want a coffee? That's what I could go for. <laughs> Cream or black? No. A manifesto. I, I could really go for a nice juicy manifesto. It'd be nice to wake up and have a raisin dieter to go with your morning coffee. Wouldn't you say? I have to pee. Gaston exits to the loo. Einstein says, Did Picasso say he was working on a manifesto? Suzanne says, Oh no, he, he said he doesn't need one, and if he did come up with one, he would have exhausted it before he finished writing it down. Oh, one other thing. Um, just before he left, he went to the window and reached down on the sill, and like lightning, grabbed a pigeon. Then he held it in one hand and turned it upside down, and... He soothed it and talked to it, and it was like the pigeon fell asleep, like it was hypnotized, and then he held his hand out the window and dropped the pigeon, and it just fell two stories upside down, straight down like a stone. Then just seconds before it would have hit the ground, the pigeon turned itself over and started flapping like mad, and it, it took off flying. Straight up past us, above the buildings, and just away into the night. And, Pica and then Picasso turned to me and said, That's like me. And he was gone. C could I have a refill? And that's where we stop. Boom! That went pretty good, dude. It did, yeah. What is even about, bro? I don't even know what that's about. So... I mean, the story develops from there, and Picasso. Because honestly, Einstein. all I heard, all I heard was Picasso and Einstein going at it about this girl, and she was so hot that they were just interested in her story. No, nah, yeah, or like was the every, Gaston and Einstein? So every no, no, everybody in in the bar was kind of interested into this girl. Her name is Suzanne. Oh, well, I'd be, and not because of her name, just. Yeah, she was really tragic. You know, and a woman walks into the store and, and takes her shirt off. Like, <laughs> yeah, hell, I mean, man, you're gonna be real attracted. You're gonna be listening to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the story develops from there, and Einstein and Picasso meet, and I'm not gonna spoil it from there. They 
talk and and that's what the place about then. Yeah. So the, okay, cool. So Sparks go see Pikachu at the Lapinagio by Steve good. Martin. Thanks, Steve. Yes. Thanks. You're welcome. I was, I was thanking Steve Martin though, not you. Like, thanks Steve Martin for making Picasso at the Lapinagio. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Are we gonna do the tune thing? So what's the second segment? All right, so the second segment is we're going to show um, our favorite song of the week. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So what's your song, dude? Um, so my song is actually, uh, it's this song, I've been listening to this dude, um, Ben Murray, and I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So Ben Murray actually is like a, he's like an indie, I don't know if you can say indie for music, but I think that... That's actually a thing. Yeah, right? yeah, indie. Like, like they do their own music. Like Ed Sheeran is this, is like an indie, right? Is yeah, he, is he still indie? I'm pretty sure he's he does a... this crap in his bedroom or some crap like that. But uh, so, B- 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 what's his name? Ben 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 Murray. Right? Ben Murray. <laughs> uh, ben yeah, Ben Murray Smith. Murray Dash Smith. So he must have changed his name or I don't know, but he's called Ben Murray Smith. Uh, and 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 you can search that up on SoundCloud or whatever. What kind of like music does he make? He makes he makes the the beat stuff, right? Yeah, he makes lots of beats and everything. He he mixes. He's like a, um, he compiles like other things and then puts them into his music. Like he's like a sample artist almost, mm-hmm. except that he kind of he kind of creates a lot of the beat himself and then goes in and makes it. So with that preface, um, I want to show you guys. Uh, I think it's called "Gonna Be" by Ben Murray Smith. So. This one is uh, just a little snippet from that song. So after we listen to that one, what do you think your song is today, Mr. Steve Boy? Hmm. I've been listening to a lot of different artists lately. This artist called Miramasa, exquisitely unique artist um, with like different influences. Like um, the guy makes music that has like Eastern influence with like. Japanese type of like sounds and stuff. That's and it's, sick. Dude. It's like it's like a trap vibe to it. And um but it's like classy, right? It's classy. Yeah, like the beats are smooth. Like he makes the beats. There's like heavy bass. I think uh, yeah. I've I've listened to one of them. It's very cultured. It's really like Yeah, it's very yeah. You know, people like electronic music and stuff. You, this is your posh version of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh so the song um I Miss You by Miramasa is the thing that I've been listen, listening to lately. All right, well, let's listen to that real quick. Oh, wait. One thing. Miramasa is actually a Japanese legendary sword. Yeah, isn't it like a... That's how he got his name, basically. So he's a legendary blade. 
Yeah, this they, guy. Yeah, this, that's freaking sick, dude. Pretty sick. Right? All right, let's listen to this real quick. All right. that song i didn't know he was talking about that song but that one we were actually listening to in the car um on the way over here and holy crap it's like it's just the bass the way the bass kind of moves in the song like i I can i can feel like the artist kind of respects the way that you listen to the music yeah like like he he doesn't make music because of like the way society makes music like he he feels the music himself and this is what i love about indie artists is that they don't they don't get him like you know they don't get they injected get, with all of this, like, oh, I need to be famous, so let's make a four chord song. Like, yeah, yeah, they go deep and they say, like, oh, well, you know, what's really important in a song is like when you're listening to it with really nice headphones and you've got all the audio coming to you, what's going to make it sound good? And like half of it's bass, I think. Yeah, I I really like I respect indie artists because um, they're not integrated into like the pop culture, you know the the recording studios that alter their music they have mm. a lot of influence on what they put out to the to their audiences and i respect indie artists because they have their own unique flair to their sound like for you example, don't find it anywhere else yeah. miramasa is an indie artist and you can't really put like categorize her music into any any music genre like it yeah, has right. so many different levels to it that it's it's what I'm saying is basically very unique and that's what I think is so cool about it. You know, is that you can't place it in a genre. Yeah, like it's a like the the artist that can make music that you can't place in a genre is a genre all its own. And yeah, like, that person owns that genre, right? Because they're the one that made so, that music. So when you think about indie artists and their unique sounds, you could basically say that they have the ability to pave way to make new categories of music, which we need. Like, we can't be still listening to this banal, 
like same sounding pop music that we what, that it's we hear weird, today. Though. Yeah, it's I wish I was still in school for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, like, I re- you got to respect the the independent music uh, music guys out there. Yeah, dude, we need them. Uh, so if anyone has kind of delved into psychology. There's this uh, part of psychology called Jungian typology, and it basically you take a test and it gives you your personal personality type. And there's about there's 16 personality types, and every single personality type has their unique characteristics. Internally, they they think about things very similarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam is the INTJ, by the way, and I would recommend that. Um, no one talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested in it, definitely look up the different personality types. Take the test. Mm. Know what you are. It was really kind of self-revealing to me yeah. to know that I'm an INTP because, like, I've I've always kind of thought about the way I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. But I like how you were talking about uh, psychology and, and the sort of way that your mind works around stuff. And I want to use that as a segue to move into um, our last bit the greatest fears bit. So I'll start because I thought mine up as you were talking. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and this, I'll be honest with you, this has made me actually like shed tears in, at night, this fear. And it's not like a fear of anything physical. Like I, it, for me, after being, we're both drummers. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why we're called double stroke is because, you know, double stroke rolls and drumming. Um, but, we're both drummers and we don't get scared anymore. (laughs) Like from physical things, like they don't scare me at least. I don't think they scare you like jump scares and stuff in video games or in movies or just like somebody popping out behind you and like, ah, you know, it just doesn't scare me anymore. Are you the same way? No, I don't, I don't don't get scared from that. Cause like, cause our drum coach literally, he like takes the stick and just cracks it right on the rim of the drum well, it was marching band, so so you know we're standing there with our drums. It's like super heavy and everything, and you're not paying attention. Bam! He cracks it, you know. Yeah, and get our attention. Yeah, and I mean, you get so used to that, like happening all the time, because we're stupid and we don't keep our attention on him. Yeah. So we keep getting cracked at, you know, and then eventually you just get used to it, and then you keep your attention on him. But uh, what's your fear, though? Like, so my my fear is nothing physical. Uh, it is. The fear of, I wish I knew what the name of it was. I wish I had looked up what the name of it was. It is the fear of no longer existing. Mm. And that kind of ties into a separate fear. Um, and they're very rational fears because to, to me, they're very rational. Like, you know, an oh, irrational yeah. fear is something like spiders. I mean, sure, it's rational in some sense because some spiders are poisonous. But like, okay, there's like, okay, no, like there's an ant crawling on your wall. If you're, like, so scared of that ant that you can't go over there with a paper towel and crush it, I'm sorry. It's irrational. Like, you should be able to do that as a human being, knowing how big you are, knowing how small it is. Right. Like, you should be able to make that differentiation. Now, the the fear that I have is that I can't make the differentiation between having a consciousness and then not having a consciousness anymore. Like, a physical consciousness. Because yeah, okay. that's all that I understand right now. That's all that anyone ever understood is is the physical realm, right? Like the physical consciousness. So like when we die, I mean, what happens? Like, obviously it has a lot to do with faith, has a lot to do with religion, but at the same time, no matter what you believe, you're going to be something else when you're dead. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Like in, in Buddhism, right? 
They think you, you turn into something else. Where did your consciousness of your last being go? Right. And that's where I just feel like, you know, I, I own my spirit. I own my consciousness right in mm-hmm. myself. And like, I have control over it, you know, and like how I think and I have control over my own perception. And it's just like, it's really deep and kind of weird, but like, what happens if I don't have that anymore? Once I'm dead, like what happens if that goes away? And like, then something spiritual is, is, yeah. is takes over my perception. Yeah. Like, how do I, I don't know how to gauge that. And it's just very scary for me. And sometimes I'm, I'm in the dark all alone in, in beds trying to go to bed. And I'm like, well, what happens if I die? You know, not like right now, but like, you know, what happens if I go to bed and then I wake up and that day something happens and I die? Like what, where do I go? What happens? Yeah. You know, you can only believe so much, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think that kind of question and that fear was basically like a big spark in early religious development. Like mm. a lot of early people didn't know what would happen to them after they died. So they used religion and um, God to explain those things. Like, yeah. for example, you have Mesopotamia. They, they, believed in spirits that were internalized in like inanimate objects in like the forces of nature like yeah that and they they saw themselves they like believed this is this is actually earlier um on in religious development that um you know when a kin of their family would have died they usually keep the grave of their dead family member in their house because they believed it had, yeah, they did. And they believed that they they had like some like spiritual energy that would like help them. And, you know, Egyptian, Egyptian stuff. They thought, thought about the afterlife. It has been so central to so many religions, you know, like, yeah. How is this like not, a realistic thing to fear. And that's why I think a lot of religious things started to develop. And I don't really think it's a very, you know, rational fear in the sense that you don't have to like think about it every day. Cause you're in right. society, like you're not, you're pretty much safe, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't have like, thinking about the chances you don't have a a big chance of just dying like in your sleep unless you have some problem with your health or something and you can you can catch a lot of you know thing like a lot of potential things that could kill you like you can catch them early on because of modern medicine and all those things yeah so risk of death i think i'm not scared of that you know i'm just scared of what's going to happen afterwards not having a conscious yeah that's Definitely, like, a very hard thing to examine and But I think, I think you understand that, right? Because, like, I hold my, like, my intellect and everything, and, like, that surrounds my consciousness. Like, I hold all of that very dear to me. You know, like, that's mine. Like, I want it to be mine. But then I realize, like, people die, which means that they don't own anything. <laughs> right. It means something else owns them. Be it nature, be it God, be it whatever you believe owns you. Yeah. Something else owns you because it's not, <laughs> it's not your body. It's not your consciousness. Like you were made by something somewhere, no matter what you believe it is, you know, like, unless you make it your conscious decision to own yourself. 
which means you make the incentive to make your life more viable to live longer, you know, like mm. for you to run and exercise, you're owning yourself in that. Right. right. Take control of your own life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're right. That's actually probably a great way to just challenge that fear. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably that's a perfect way to challenge the fear. Just to like try to live your life to the fullest, like, and make sure that you have a lot of life to live. A segue into my biggest fear from that, my fear is to have basically no connection with humanity. Like, mm. I wouldn't be able to think about, I, I just like can't think of how that would be, you know? So you're saying if you could no longer speak to anyone, like you were the only person left kind of thing? Yeah, like complete and utter solitude mm. nothing i mean like that's a year and a half yeah like um it would be having no one to connect with would be so hard like mm -hmm. everybody has to connect with somebody at some level you know like that's how we coexist with each other and like having nobody to exist with that would be so bad. <laughs> then you're not coexisting anymore. It would be the scariest thing. Like I, I would imagine myself like in space, just flying off through the universe with nobody. Like, how would that feel? <laughs> you know, that actually, I can relate to that in that yeah, ex fear. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because that's so? kind of that's kind of how my fear is. You know, like I, I'm, I'm scared of. I guess I should explain a little bit. Like. It's very similar to that in that, like, I feel like if I'm dead, what personally, what I, I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe that, you know, when I'm dead, some, something's going to come of, come of my body, you know, and it's not going to be a physical thing. It's going to be some sort of spiritual, uh, being, right. Or whatever we want to call it with our physical language. Obviously you can't describe it fully in a physical language, but, um, somehow I just feel like. I'm going to get to like, you know, heaven and then it's never, cause it says it's never going to end. That's really what I'm trying to get mm -hmm. at is that like the, the Bible ends up saying heaven will never end. Like once you're there, you're there forever and there's no end to it. There's no, there's no timeline anymore. Yeah. There's eternity and that I can't fathom because I can, I can fathom timelines. I've, I've experienced timelines. Yeah. Right. I've experienced like from then till now. And like now could be the end of then till now, but it's also the start of now till then, right? If there's no then, what do I do? Like, yeah. it's just really scary. So I feel like the whole floating through space thing, I feel like that would be my perspective is like, it just keeps going yeah. and nothing ever happens. Well, what, um, God says in, in the scripture is he says like some things that you want to know you just can't know like yeah. i'm the one who knows and that's um you know like during like uh the israelite period where they were like um starting christian or uh, no not christianity just like judaism yeah. judaism yep um that's what the covenant was about you know they made the covenant with god saying like you know, I'm going to make this connection with you. God is going to make a connection with humanity. And you guys aren't going to know 
what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have like control over you, but I'm going to protect you through anything. Like, right. And some of the things that you want to know, I know, and you're not, you're not going to know because it's a really convoluted contract, dude. Yeah. It's really messed up. But at the same time, uh, then oh, I just lost my train of thought. It was good too. Did that ever happen to you? Yeah, you're like literally thinking of it, and then three seconds later, it's gone. Yeah, that just happened to me like ten seconds ago, (laughs) a couple minutes ago. Um, but no. So you're you're talking about you know how back then they were kind of they were like trying to understand kind of like why like why we're here, right? The whole the whole why am I here question, right? That comes up a lot in history, and I mean. Like we were saying before, dude, honestly, we're not going to know what's going to happen, you know? Like, something, something's going to kill you, <laughs> eventually. It's how we are. We're humans. Something's going to kill you. It's been that way for thousands of years. But the, the things that you do beforehand, you know, before all, of, before all the unknown happens, you know, take control of what's known, I guess. Right. And I'm, I'm feeling better now. I think, I think now after we've kind of talked about it a little bit, Starting to realize, like, you know, you you basically are in control of your survivability. Basically. Yeah. Like, you know, you can have control over it now. And so at least take the now for what it's worth, right? It's worth quite a bit, I think. Yeah. Because all that we know is what we have. So that's worth quite a bit, I think. So take it for what it's worth, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate your life. Don't. Yeah. Don't waste your life, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Don't let your life pass by you. Take advantage of every single thing that you can because you don't have, like, it seems like life is long now. Like, man, I have a, I have a really extensive life to live ahead of me, but mm-hmm. you really don't. Time flies. Like, hey, man. So true. Yeah. But you know what? Speaking of living good, speaking of taking control, I want pizza. Yeah, Sam, I was just about to say <laughs> Okay. Well, you know what, guys? Thank you very much for anybody who stuck around to the very end of this. Um, this was really fun. I hope we do this more. Yeah. Because this is pretty cool. It's, like, really chill. And we always have these talks anyway. So yeah. I think to be able to just put them somewhere to listen to later, even if nobody else listens to them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're going to go make a pizza. Um, double Stroke. That's so cool. Podcast. Yeah, man. dude. Get double our, double get our voices out there. Let's go. We got a lot to say. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you have a great day, people. All right.